Welcome to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl. It is Friday, June 11th. On today's show, everything that happened in Jazz Clippers Game 2 last night. Before we get there, this show is now available via an app. Uh, If you go to iOS, Android, Roku, Amazon Fire, you name it, you search for the Beehive TV. It's free. You can download it. Everything that happens on No Baller, it will be there. You can listen to it. You can watch videos. You can comment, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, Go download it. Help spread the word. Thank you. Gambling. Uh, We start this show every single day with a reason that gambling should be legal in Utah. So I'm going up to the Jazz Clippers game last night, and I have an uneasy feeling because the Jazz win game one in this back-and-forth affair, and it seems like, okay, the Clippers, they're going to bring their best effort in this game. So I make kind of an emotional hedge because sometimes I do that with gambling. Uh, I take Kawhi Leonard over seven and a half rebounds last night. I think Kawhi, he has to have a bounce back game. He can't play like he did in game one. Uh, He's one of the greatest playoff performers ever. We're going to get the very best version of him. So I'll bet his over uh, and maybe the Jazz can win and he can still get the rebounds over. Uh, If not, fine. Uh, If Kawhi Leonard doesn't play well and doesn't hit his rebound total, it means the Jazz won. I'm still happy there. It's the great emotional hedge that I'll always lean into uh, with gambling. So Kawhi Leonard, he kind of pieces together somewhat of a piss pants performance for himself last night. Doesn't really do the things that we expect from Kawhi Leonard. Uh, He finishes with only four rebounds. So I lose my bet. But as we all know, the Jazz win. So why gambling should be legal in Utah? Because even when you lose, you win. And now a word from our sponsor. Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. The Utah Jazz defeated the Los Angeles Clippers last night, 117-111 to in Game 2 of the Western Conference Semifinals. The Jazz are now up 2-0 in the series with Game 3 in Los Angeles on Saturday night. I'm going to start this analysis uh, at the climactic point of the game. Um, I always talk about the playoffs are about responding to adversity. Uh, How do you respond when things are not going your way? The Jazz passed a big test in the first round for me in the two games on the road at Memphis, game three and game four. Um, Both games with about six minutes to go in the fourth, they're there for either team to take, you know, tie game in one, two-point game in the other. And this is the moment that you always look at yourself and say, who is going to score for us? Who is going to create for us? Who is going to buckle down and play defense? How are we going to grind out a win? Is it offense tonight? Is it defense? Is it a combination of these two things? And the Jazz did really well in those circumstances. Uh, They leaned heavily on Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell offensively. And in game four, they relied heavily on just grind it out in any way possible, even though we're not shooting that well. Just find a way, play defense, get a rebound. Mike Conley hit a timely three. We can go from there. This is sometimes how you have to win in the playoffs. So I really like that coming out of the Memphis series because that's something you continually have to confront within the playoffs. Uh, Adversity. How do we respond? Within every game, there's always going to be a point where 
things aren't going your way, you can roll over. Uh, you can kind of shrink and, and just say, tonight's not our night. Let's come back at it in the next game. How do you respond? This is where we see the difference between good teams, great teams, championship teams. It's somewhere within that spectrum. It all comes down to how do you respond to adversity? So the moment that we're going to start at is with six minutes and 37 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. The Jazz have controlled play for the vast majority of the game. Um, Mitchell has an amazing first half. Jordan Clarkson joins him. One point, Mitchell drills a three a few minutes into the third quarter to put the Jazz up by 21 points. And I'm sitting there, the crowd's going crazy, and I'm going, all right, you know, let's maintain this for a couple more minutes, and we can put this game on ice and rest people and go into Los Angeles up 2-0 and feel really good about the way that these first two games has gone. And the Clippers are a good basketball team. And so that's not how that played out because they had to dig deep, and they did. And over the ensuing quarter or so of basketball, uh, they forced the Jazz into a lot of isolation-heavy possessions that were not that great of looks, and the Jazz struggled to score. And the Clippers start hacking away on offense. And now this 21-point lead, it's cut to 14. And now that 14-point lead, it's cut to single digits. Now it's cut to four. Um, And right before this moment I'm talking about, the Jazz come down, Donovan Mitchell's dribbling around, Patrick Beverly makes a steal, sends it to Reggie Jackson in transition. Uh, he walks into a three. He pump fakes. Royce O'Neal doesn't respond. He fires. He swishes. Jazz are now down two. 101-99. First lead of the game for the Clippers. Uh, this is the adverse circumstances that will always arise in a game. You don't really know what they are until you're in it. In this case, it was blowing an enormous lead and sitting there and saying, okay, Reggie Jackson has somehow just turned into Steph Curry. He's canning three-pointers from every corner of planet Earth. Who knows how the hell this happened, but it's happening. Patrick Beverly has been dusted off from the bench. Uh, He's returned to his rightful role as this despicable playoff villain who gets under the skin of everybody in the crowd and on the court and just does all those really annoying Patrick Beverly things that every single NBA fan knows, and hates. Uh, The Clippers are riding this wave, and they're coming on strong. And you know that we haven't even seen the best yet of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, The Jazz are playing their second consecutive game without Mike Conley, who, again, within that Memphis series, was one of, if not their best player there. Uh, He was phenomenal, and the Jazz have not had that in this series. So they go into timeout. And this is the moment where you question yourself and you say, okay, who's going to score? Who's going to create? Who's going to play defense? Uh, How are we going to bring an extra level of effort and intensity that we haven't over the last quarter and change? These are the questions you have to ask and and hopefully find an answer. So the Jazz come out of timeout and they put Mitchell on the bench for the ensuing roughly less than a minute stretch. Uh, And their five-man lineup is Joe Ingles, Voice O'Neal, Rudy Gobert, Jordan Clarkson, and Boyan Bogdanovich. You look at that five-man unit, and as individual pieces, you would never really quake in fear. You would never say, this is a a great lineup to throw into the heat of a playoff series against a really good opponent and expect good things to happen for your team. 
But we've also watched the Jazz this year, and we know that in addition to this star guard combination of Conley and Mitchell, one of the strengths of their team has been chemistry, teamwork, and an understanding of how to play together. And that extends to a unit like this that is greater than the sum of its parts. And they come out of timeout, and Joe Ingles comes in, and he hits this high teardrop layoff that seems like it hits on the top of the backboard. Plops down through the hole. So now everybody's back into it. Okay, tie game. Buckle down. Here we go. Uh, Clippers get uh, a good look for Batum, who clanks a three. Make or miss league. That was really prevalent down the stretch of this game. Clippers had wide open threes on multiple occasions. Those did not fall. Uh, The Jazz, they did. Jazz come back down the floor. And... Jordan Clarkson in transition, uh, whips a pass to Bogdanovich, who without hesitation, he still got a defender by him. He goes, this is going up. And, and, and in the crowd, there's one person right now who just, for whatever reason, it seems like when he gets a big shot in rhythm, it's going down. It's Bogdanovich. So he catches it uh, on the wing, squares up, drills a three, places going bonkers, much like it was in game one, uh, as the Jazz were running away in that game, and Mitchell was doing his thing. Jazz are pumping up the crowd. Uh, Clippers call timeout. They're walking off the court. It's a three-point lead now for the Jazz. Uh, 5-0 with Mitchell on the bench, the person that they've been heavily reliant upon in this series to get them buckets and to create for others. Uh, And this unit, they come up, and they say, okay, we can can carry things for this brief stretch. Uh, Coming back out of the timeout, Mitchell is now in for Clarkson. So again, it's this unit that you would love to have Mike Conley be a part of because he's been an incredible crunch time player for the Jazz this season and a really integral secondary scorer and creator and at times primary as he was in the Memphis series. But now we have Mitchell subbed in. Ingles, O'Neal, Gobert, Mitchell, Bogdanovich. Uh, And we see this team effort uh, that comes in a lot of different ways from everybody who is playing. It wasn't as much of what we saw in game one down the stretch, which was on offense, it was Mitchell. It was just this incredible star performance that you very rarely see. And when you do, you go, that was special. Uh, And that's not something I'm going to forget. This was special in, in a different way. It was special in the team sense because you had people stepping up and filling that void created by Mike Conley. Uh, You had people stepping up and saying, Mitchell, you don't have to do everything. Uh, We got your back. There's a lot of players on this court right now that know how to play basketball, uh, and we're going to do that. So the Clippers are missing their wide-open threes during this stretch. Marcus Morris misses some. uh, Beverly clanks one. Ingles comes down in the pick-and-roll with Gobert. Uh, Great little slip pass. Gobert going hard to the rim. Ferocious dunk. Paul George is caught underneath him, and one, places going even more insane. Uh, Gobert hits his free throw, and you're starting to feel that swell of, okay, you know, this is the climactic stretch of the game. This is where the Jazz, they're feeling this emotional wave. They're riding it. They're playing good basketball. Get some stops. Get some buckets, and this game is over. Uh, Doris Burke, who I watch the broadcast this morning uh, on ESPN and Doris Burke is shouting during this stretch. She's going, how many times has Bogdanovich made Kawhi a passer? Uh, This was something that freaked me out 
there in person. You notice different things live that you do on television. And live, it was shocking to me how good the defense that Boyan Bogdanovich was playing on Kawhi Leonard. He's moving his feet. Uh, he's squaring up his hips. He's staying in front of him. Anywhere Kawhi wants to go, all these spots that we know Kawhi can always get to, Bogdanovich is forcing him off him, off him, off him. Get the ball out of his hands over and over during this stretch down uh, the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter. It seemed like Bogdanovich was one step ahead. A dude who's not that fleet of foot, and I wouldn't say is a phenomenal defender, for whatever reason, I don't know if he's tapping into some deep reserve, uh, if he just was, he'd studied film and, and understood what Kawhi was trying to do. I don't know what it was, uh, but what he was doing during this stretch was truly sensational. It was getting the ball out of the hands of one of the very best playoff scorers and forcing other people on the team to try and fill that void, which they did not do. So back on offense, uh, it, it starts turning into the Joe Ingles show, the ball in his hands, the dude who is now stepping up to fill that secondary score and especially the creator role left by Mike Conley, which he succeeded at uh, to a very high degree in the Memphis series. Now we have Ingles there. So the next possession, he comes down. Uh, he's bobbing and weaving, doing that herky-jerky, slow-mo Joe stuff that somehow defenses uh, struggle to contain, probably because it's, it's such a lower speed than the normal NBA player that the brain can't compute. So he draws the defense, and he whips it over to Royce O'Neal on the right side, who now has an open look. Again, make or miss league. Open three versus open three. The Clippers, they don't make those. Uh, Royce O'Neal. Swish. Three-pointer for the Jazz. The place is going even crazier because, again, you sense that swell of this is where the game is going to be decided. Uh, and the Jazz are getting effort and plays from every single person on the floor. They come back down. Beverly's dancing around. Gobert's having to defend him on the perimeter. He does. He's moving his feet. He's moving his feet. Uh, Beverly gets flustered. He tries to get into the key, which is... <laughs> Not where you want him to be, trying to score against Gobert. Uh, he forces him into a very tough shot, clanks it off the iron. Jazz have the ball now, and you're just feeling everything reach that uh, crescendo. Joe Ingles walks straight into an open three. That's the ensuing possession. Clippers just kind of discombobulated on defense. It's not really even a transition possession. But Joe Ingles just kind of comes down. He senses they're not really responding. And he walks straight up. Wide open three. Swish. Timeout. Explosion in the crowd. Uh, Vivint Smart Home doing what Vivint Smart Home does, which is just this raucous celebration of basketball and this specific team, which has been an absolute utter joy to watch continually throughout the year and even more so in these playoffs. 14-2 Utah Jazz run. Uh, they're up 113-103 with three minutes to go. During that stretch, the Clippers miss nine consecutive field goals. Some of those were just open threes that were missed. That the Jazz forced the ball out of the hands of people you don't want the ball in. Especially Kawhi. And said, if we get beat by these other people, we get beat. But... It's really hard to stomach when Kawhi Leonard, the best player on that team, beats you. So Bogdanovich, take this responsibility and go after it and force the ball out of his hands. They did that. Uh, and then some of these other possessions, it was just great team defense. It was switching. It was 
getting a hand up. Uh, it was Gobert just doing the things that Gobert does. And then on offense, it was Ingles creating. It was people hitting their threes. Bogdanovich, uh, Royce O'Neal, Gobert making great plays on offense as the role man. It's all of the things about this Jazz team that are just so fun, uh, so lovable, and most importantly, have created a winning formula. Uh, on a night where maybe this player doesn't have their best stuff or, or this player doesn't have their best stuff, you can get by because there's so many different avenues that the Jazz can hurt you. Uh, and that was this stretch. It was six players, essentially. The only six players who showed up in this game for Utah. Very forgettable night for George Yang. Very forgettable night for Derek Favors. And very forgettable night for Mia Oni. The other three people who cracked the rotation and played. They didn't do anything. So the game was decided by these six dudes uh, who I've been talking about. Who all in their own right played really, really, really impactful, meaningful minutes in basketball. And that was the winning margin. That's why the Jazz win 117-111. That's why they're up 2-0 in the series. Uh, It was this combination of team and individual, and it turned into this winning formula. So these six guys who come to play basketball, that's the story of this game. In addition to how do you respond to adversity? That's that three-minute window, you know? 6.37 to just a little bit over three minutes to go. That's where the game was either won or lost for the Jazz. In this case, it's a win. It's a 14-2 run. It's playing defense, and it's hitting you on offense in a variety of ways. The game in its totality, it was the same thing. It was, okay, we need stuff from all of you. Uh, I'll go back to Bogdanovich, who I just, I love the way that he plays basketball. Uh, He scores 16 points. Not a huge total. He goes three for five from three-point land. That's great. You'll take that every day from any player on your roster. But it was about more than that. Uh, it started with this defense that I referenced in this fourth-quarter stretch and extended throughout the game from Bogdanovich. Just, hey, uh, Royce O'Neal, he's going to take somebody out of George and Kawhi, and we need someone on this team to take the other person. In this game, Bogdanovich drew uh, heavy minutes playing against Kawhi, and was incredible. In that fourth quarter, Kawhi goes one for four from the field. He scores two points. He has two turnovers. Uh, If you look at that stat line, you say there's no way the Clippers can win in a game where Kawhi does that. And indeed, that was a truth. A lot of that was tied into Bogdanovich and just this continual movement on defense and giving effort. Effort, effort, effort. It's the thing that's jumping off the page from this Jazz team, especially in the last two games against the Clippers. It's almost it's reminiscent of what you see in uh, college basketball and the NCAA tournament. That's the one draw of college basketball, in my opinion. You get these people in single elimination games, and they're just diving everywhere, and they're playing defense like it's the final possession of Game 7 of the NBA Finals. I'm getting that feeling from the Jazz. I don't feel like there's a loose ball that's just left there. And I don't feel like there's apathetic defense from any individual at any point. It's just continual effort, continual movement, uh, and just a willingness to do this over and over and over. 
Right now, like I said, there's nobody I trust more for a timely three than Bogdanovich. It seems like every time the ball comes to him in a big moment, whether that was game one or game two, and he's locked and loaded and firing away, I'm standing up in the crowd with my arms given the field goal sign because you just know it's going in. Uh, that's part of filling the void where Mike Conley or that Mike Conley has left. He was one of the people who was that in round one. He's been one of the people who's been that for this season. You got to have people step up. Uh, Bogdanovich, that's one of the people. Just this emotion that he's playing with. Riding this emotional wave within the arena. Just these fist pumps, the screaming, all that kind of stuff. Firing himself up, the team up, the crowd up, all that stuff. It's, it's jumping off of the screen and it's dropping off of the court there live. Jordan Clarkson, who played a hell of a basketball game last night. 24 points, 6 for 9 from 3. Just the very best scoring explosion version of Jordan Clarkson. Him and Mitchell offensively carried the day for the Jazz for long stretches of this basketball game. Uh, Making really tough shots, breaking down defenders in isolation and getting to spots and scoring. Um, It was the best version of Jordan Clarkson. The one that won sixth man of the year. This ticking time bomb score who you get him on the court and you say, all right, you're going to miss some shots, but we know that when you get hot, uh, it's an enormous boost for this team. That was Clarkson yesterday. The six for nine from three. That's the very best version of Jordan Clarkson and what he brings to the table. Joe Ingles, a guy who they are really heavily reliant upon to fill that Mike Conley role. Uh, Somebody needs to soak up minutes there. Somebody needs to soak up the secondary scoring. Uh, That's more of a unified team thing and the creation, which that falls more heavily on Ingles because when Conley's out after Mitchell, Ingles is somebody that they really rely upon to get people looks out of the pick and roll. Gobert come up, favors come up, uh, let's get the defense moving, and Ingles, good understanding of basketball, man with good vision and ability to pass, he's going to find people, and it might not be as good as what Conley brings to the table, but in a pinch, he can do a pretty good approximation of that. I mean, that is that three-and-a-half-minute stretch in the middle of the fourth quarter. Ingles continually creating. At first, I was freaked out about it in the crowd because... My, my main motto is you always go down with your stars uh, and get the ball to Mitchell and go from there. And instead, the Jazz went kind of a different way. It was more Mitchell as a decoy, Ingles as the creator, and it worked greatly because Ingles knew what he was doing and he found the open man and he hit the threes that he needed to when he was open. He finishes with 19 points, four rebounds, four assists. He's four for seven from three. Uh, Pretty good approximation of what Mike Conley is bringing to the table and hasn't been able to for these two games that he's been injured. Back to this six-man unit uh, that carried the game for the Jazz. Uh, Rudy Gobert, who played, in my opinion, his best game of the playoffs. He was just ferocious. 13 points, 20 rebounds, two steals, three blocks. 
It's interesting because this is not a team that Gobert is supposed to have a ton of success against. Uh, this is a Clippers team that is heavily reliant upon shooting from the mid-range and shooting from three-point land. They don't really care about getting to the key in a way that most NBA teams do. The place that Gobert wants to live, the place that he wants to drop into in pick-and-roll coverage and just cover up. The Clippers want him to get out and have to guard on the perimeter and get into an area where he's less comfortable, moving your feet against a smaller player who can shoot threes or who can try and blow by you and get to the rim. Gobert has been really good at doing something that he's not comfortable doing. Uh, This perimeter-based defense, move your feet, move your feet. He's trying to get by you. Well, you got to go with him. I know you're seven feet and this guy's six foot four, but you got to move. Part of the playoffs is about mitigating your own weaknesses, which the other team will always pick at and try to exploit. And the Clippers, it seems safe to say that they've looked at, at Gobert and said, we're not as afraid of you as... Some teams are because we don't necessarily want to live in the place that you want to live. Gobert is doing an incredible job at just trying continually. That's my favorite part of his game. Beyond all of the tangible things that Gobert does, the defense, the rebounding, the lob catches and dunks, uh, the great and one last night in that climactic stretch. What I love about Gobert is you always tell that that dude gives a shit and he, he's trying. Uh, he's fighting for loose balls. He's fighting for rebounds. He's into every defensive possession, even in a, a bland February regular season game and really in a game like this that everybody's into nonstop. Gobert just, he, he always brings that to the table. He provides effort on every possession. Um, nothing symbolizes that more than the final possession of game one where it gets to Marcus Morris in the corner. Clippers are down three. And Gobert's having to move his feet. And Morris is jab-stepping and try to sidestep and get an open look. And Gobert jumps. He's still in position. He comes down. He jumps again. He's packing Marcus Morris to end the game. Uh, it's a place that Gobert doesn't necessarily want to be on the perimeter. But it's also a dude who is continually trying and giving effort and knowing that uh, – Sometimes I'll look like the fool on defense, and especially when I'm on the perimeter, that's fine. I'll come back. That's what I do. Sometimes I'll get dunked on in the key. That's fine. I'll come back. That's what I do. Uh, It's really cool to watch a player like that in the NBA because one of the complaints that I have and I hear from a lot of other NBA fans is just, for the most part, there's kind of a, a general apathy towards defense for long stretches throughout the regular season, and even for stretches sometimes in the playoffs. When things are really, really, really meaningful, everybody pretty much ratchets, ratchets the intensity up and goes, all right, we got to buckle down and play defense. We'll play defense. Gobert is one of the few people that I just always get that from. And, and it really comes to the forefront in these meaningful playoff games where, yeah, he's a flawed player. And yeah, he's not going to maybe uh, do this every night, but you're going to see effort from him every single game. That's a very cool thing to see in a player. I mean, he snatches every rebound in that game, 20 rebounds, playoff career high for Gobert. Uh, And it just seemed like anytime the ball was in the air, he's going to the rim and he's in position and he's elbowing people and he's trying to tip it out or he's grabbing it himself. That's what Gobert brings to the table. Uh, That's what he brought to the table to the 10th degree last night. Royce O'Neal, 
I loved his game in game one. Part of that was because I bet all of his props over. Part of that is just because Royce O'Neal feels a very specific need for this team. Draw the toughest defensive assignments continually. Log a lot of minutes in that capacity and can threes when you're open. Uh, that's what the Jazz asked him to do. That's what Royce O'Neal has turned into very good, respectable NBA player at doing. Uh, and last night, he's got to soak up a ton of minutes. He ends up playing 41, the highest total on the Jazz team. And there's not going to be a minute on the floor for Royce O'Neal where he's not having to guard one of Kawhi Leonard or Paul George because the Jazz just don't have a lot of people to throw at these really elite wing defender or really elite wing scorers. So he draws the majority of the Paul George assignment last night. And much like Gobert, Royce's thing that I love about him is effort. Effort, 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 effort. You always see it with him. Uh, He's trying on defense. He's hustling. He's running down loose balls. He knows how to swing the ball on offense. He knows how to get into spots that create more space for Mitchell, Ingles, Conley, whoever may be playing. And when the moment demands it, uh, more than capable of stepping into the corner catching a pass from Ingles and swishing uh, an incredibly huge three to put the Jazz up seven with four minutes to go on the clock. That's part of this team effort. It's part of this six-man unit that was just really, really good last night. Uh, Last but not least, uh, we go to the star, Donovan Mitchell, who... The entire show of game one was about that because how could it not be? 45 points, 32 points, second half. Very special game from uh, who, a player that's <laughs> turning into a very special player before our eyes. Uh, he picks up right where he left off in this game. He scores 27 points in the first half of game two. He goes 11 for 16 from the field in the first half. That's on top of doing the exact same thing in the second half of game one. He's 11 for 16 from the field in the second half of game one, the first half of game two. Uh, That's 59 points in that four-quarter stretch of basketball on 22 for 32 shooting. Like, it's hard to comprehend what we're watching from Mitchell. I'll go back to what I said in uh, in the analysis of game one. When we were watching the Mitchell Nuggets series last year, and he was doing just, he was putting up these incredible scoring numbers. Couldn't tell if it was like, uh, is this just an outrageous outlier performance? What does this mean for the future? Uh, how can he build on this? Is it even possible? And now we're here in the playoffs again, and Mitchell's doing just the same things in this series against a team that really seems equipped to slow down um, Donovan Mitchell, especially without his next best score and creator there, Mike Conley. And Mitchell still, he ends the game with 37 points, four assists, three rebounds. He's 15 for 29 from the field. He's six for 12 from three-point land. He's continually in every single game, regardless of the opponent in the playoffs right now. He's just going off. He's hitting tough shots. He's hitting pull-up threes when the defense is collapsing on him and and demanding that we're going to try to force the ball out of your hands. He knows how to get the ball out of his hands and either give someone else a wide-open shot or create an odd man 
break elsewhere where it's now three on two and Ingles, you go in and, and dish it off to Gobert. Now you're dunking. Uh, those secondary hockey assists that have to stem from the initial focal point of an offense. Draw two people to you, pass. Odd man rush, pass. Wide open three or a dunk. Uh, Mitchell is starting to stress defenses in a way that just breaks them by virtue of being on the floor. His scoring is so scintillating, and that's a lot of it. As the second half of Game 1 showed us, the Clippers were just powerless to do anything about his ability to score. Kind of what the first half of Game 2 showed us. You know, They still were powerless. You come off of Game 1, and you know the Clippers have been focused specifically on that. We can't let Mitchell hurt us in this way. He just burned us to the ground. He scored 32 points in the second half. We can't allow that to happen again. You know that that was their focal point coming into game two. And it didn't matter because he came out in the first half and just did the same thing. He goes, yeah, I'm going to swish a bunch of threes on you. I'm going to go 11 for 16 from the field. You're not going to be able to stop me. That's where we're at with Mitchell. He's picking right up where he left off in last year's Denver series. Just a, a scoring playoff performer that is doing astounding things on a nightly basis. Every time I watch Donovan Mitchell right now, I go, how does he keep doing this? I keep waiting for the lull. I keep waiting for a game or a couple games where I, I go, ah, Mitchell hurt him in that game. You know, he just, he was struggling. Uh, it seemed like couldn't get the shot to fall. Couldn't really get to his spots. I don't know when that's going to occur. I'm sure it will at some point, but it, the consistency and, uh, and the volume and the efficiency, it's astounding right now. Uh, and that combined with all of these pieces around it, O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Ingles, Gobert, that's where a 2-0 series lead uh, comes from. Last but not least, uh, I'll end the show how I end virtually every show that's about basketball. Make or miss league, three-point shooting league. Uh, the Jazz are heavily reliant upon that from three-point land. The Clippers are heavily reliant upon that from three-point land. Uh, last night, it's a big story. Jazz go 20 for 39. They set a franchise playoff record for makes in a game. Clippers go 11 for 30. Nine three-pointers made for the Jazz more than the Clippers. That's 27 points extra. Um, that's always going to be a story in every single playoff game, pretty much regardless of the team. But really, especially in this series, where it's two high-level three-point shooting teams who want that shot, they'll take as many as they can possibly get. And, and the game, it's going to come down to the discrepancy between those two teams uh, in that area. Game two, Jazz check off a win in large part because... Everybody was making their threes. So we now arrive at a pivotal point for the Clippers, a team that had fallen down 2-0 in the first round against Dallas and stormed back in that series, back and forth, back and forth, winning game seven. They're in a position they've been before. Uh, series has not officially begun until a home team loses, and the Clippers are going to be believing in that. Say, all right, Jazz has got to come to where we're at. We're four-point favorites in game three. Um, let's lay down a performance that we can build upon. If they're looking in the mirror, they say, we just got to make some of these threes. We have to play better defense on Donovan Mitchell. 
and let's go from there. That's what the Clippers are going to be trying to do in game three. And the Jazz are going to be leaning into what they've leaned into through two games. Everybody needs to step up and, and soak up what Mike Conley does for this roster. Gobert, keep doing what you're doing. And Mitchell, you're the best player in this series, which you've been through two games. Uh, we're going to win. So get at it. Keep doing what you're doing. These are all the things that we're going to be looking for in game three. So Saturday night, uh, 6.30, it should be incredible. Both games one and two have been awesome basketball games. Uh, they were a privilege to be a part of there in the crowd. And I'm sure that game three will follow a similar suit. Uh, and we'll be back on this show to discuss everything that happens uh, when it does. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.